Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Good morning to everybody out there in West Georgia. It is the Sports Bee with Richard Holdridge, and I am your host, Richard Holdridge, on a happy Tuesday. Happy National Championship Tuesday. We did it. The Georgia Bulldogs are national champions. First time since 1980. I'm joined by a special guest. As always, I really appreciate when Rob Frazier joins the show. Rob... It's starting to look like you're becoming a regular on the show. We got you on for the fourth time. It's great to have you. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we enjoy doing these things together. And uh, let's let's talk about uh, lots of good things going on in the world of sports. Absolutely. And we have a great show for you. I'm going to break down. We are going to break down the national championship. And what does this mean for the University of Georgia going forward? And... What does it mean to Alabama as well? Because I'm going to talk about the other side because you, you had a great game. I watched it all the way through. And we also had Black Monday. We're going to talk about some of the firings in the NFL with the coaches. And we'll also preview the NFL playoffs coming up this weekend. But first, Rob, Georgia did it. National champions, first time since 1980. The whole state is going crazy. I've been hearing stories. I had Georgia fans call me up yesterday, Georgia fans getting on Facebook Live and posting all their stuff about how Georgia finally did it. I I, I can't believe it. I'm still stunned that they won that game because there was a point after Stetson Bennett had the the fumble and the laxy-daisy play by the Alabama defender thinking it was an incomplete pass, but it was a fumble. Alabama gets it back and then scores a touchdown. I seriously thought the game was over. I thought that Georgia could not overcome Bama's defense and Bama would find a way to win the national championship. What was going through your mind while you were watching that national championship? Well, what was going through my mind during the first half is this is a defensive slugfest, uh, which is okay. Um, We do know that these national championship games, they tend to be one way or another. They they tend to be – kind of a high-scoring fest where the last team with the ball is going to win, or they tend to be low-scoring defensive affairs. The great thing about this game, we had a little bit of both, Richard. Yeah, and I was very observant of that first half. First of all, Alabama came to play. Nick Saban had a game plan to stop Stetson Bennett in that first half. Alabama was moving the ball on Georgia. So Georgia's defense holding Alabama to four field goals was a win because Bryce Young was just moving the ball. Brian Robinson had some good runs. I noticed even with the injury to Jamison Williams, which, by the way, Rob, that changed the momentum. It changed the game because now you take a weapon out for the Bama offense, and I I feel that Bryce Young was limited after Jamison Williams left the game. Absolutely he was. I mean, Georgia's defense – 
is still, uh, you would know this statistically, I would think coming in, right, their defense would have been ranked higher, you know, uh, from one position to the next on the field, higher than Alabama's still. So, uh, and then Alabama, you know, they beat Cincinnati, but they didn't put up a ton of points. So you're absolutely right. Uh, that was a key factor in the game. Uh, Alabama did, in my opinion, uh, own they own the first half uh, with what they were able to do. Even Kirby Smart said it at halftime. He's like, we, we've got to do better uh, on second and third down. We're getting behind. Uh, we're we're losing uh, losing on a lot of plays out there. And uh, so definitely Alabama uh, was in control in the first half. So uh, definitely a tale of two halves. Now, I know this is National Championship Tuesday, and there's a lot of options for all you Georgia fans listening to other podcasts and radio stations. But me and Rob, we're going to break down this game because, as you know, we're I'm here in Georgia. I know you're in West Virginia, Rob, but um, I'm here in Georgia. It's a big deal in the state of Georgia. Live in Columbus, which is a battleground city. Many Georgia fans, but we also have Auburn and Alabama fans. So we're going to break this game down because Georgia deferred to the second half, which was important. I felt that if Georgia can get a stop on Alabama, they're going to get the ball to start the second half. They were able to hold Alabama to a field goal. But Alabama's defense forced Georgia to punt. There was a big sack by Christian Harris that put Georgia behind the eight ball. There was a lot of penalties, a lot of sloppy play. Georgia got themselves into first and 15, second and 15s. And I was skeptical of Stetson Bennett. I really was getting frustrated with him, feeling like, oh, no, here we go again. Stetson Bennett is not going to be able to move the ball on Alabama's defense. And once again, Nick Saban owns average quarterbacks but then in the second half the momentum changed when Georgia got that blocked punt and then you had the touchdown by Alabama to go up 18 to 13 then the play calling by offensive coordinator Todd Monken and what Georgia did with Stetson Bennett they just went hurry up Stetson Bennett got a quick 18 yard pass for a first down the penalty the pass interference penalty was huge because Will Anderson was coming right at Stetson Bennett, and Stetson threw it up, and they got the pass interference penalty. And then the free play, the 40-yard touchdown pass to Adonai Mitchell to put Georgia up 19-18. to I think that changed the momentum in the game. What do you think? Absolutely it did. So here's what it came down to. So the head coach's job is, you know, game management, and then the coordinators, you know, handle their their side of the football. So in my opinion, defensively, uh, it was very much an even game. You, you mentioned, you know, Georgia having uh, plays for loss, but, you know, Alabama as well had several plays for loss. So to me, the difference came uh, when the offensive coordinator was willing to roll the dice and uh, trust the resilience uh, of Stetson Bennett. He said in his post-game comments, he said, win or lose, I couldn't be the reason why our team lost the game. And I love that quote. And I love the chance that he took when he was on the run and threw that absolute perfect dart uh, for that end zone touchdown catch. That catch was phenomenal, Richard. And that uh, defensive back did his job. He was all over him in the back corner of the end zone. That catch right there, to me, uh, was the big game changer in the second half. And I didn't mention, you know, Alabama was out there two, was without their two top corners. 
Jalen Armour Davis and jo- and um, Josh Job. Uh, he they were out, so Nick Saban had to deal with two unproven corners out there. And I, say what you want, Bama fans are going to say, "Well, if Jamison Williams was playing, Alabama would have beat Georgia, or if they had their corners." But Georgia wins the national championship regardless. It is a win for Kirby Smart. He finally beats Nick Saban. It's the first win against Alabama since since 2007 and Georgia's national champions. But one thing I noticed in this game, on the next series, Georgia gets a huge three and out. Brian Robinson runs for a two-yard loss. Georgia's secondary was all over the receivers. They, Alabama's receivers could not get separation. And it, it's because you had your third and fourth string receivers. You had some true freshmen in there, not with a whole lot of playing experience, not with a whole lot of practices under their belt, because the offense was – surrounded by Jamison Williams. He was 70% of Alabama's offense. And once Jamison Williams went down with an injury, Bryce Young wasn't comfortable with his third and fourth string wide receivers. Now, he did make some good plays. I'll give you that. Bryce Young had a very good pass to uh, Cameron Latu, the tight end. It kind of – I got flashbacks to the national championship against Clemson when O.J. Howard just ran all over the field uh, against Clemson. But Alabama made some good plays, but the three and out. To get the three and out, Georgia had the three and out, and they got the ball back with a 19-18 lead. Okay, you know what was going through my mind? Seven minutes to go. I kept looking at it. I was on pins and needles. I kept saying, just run the ball down, eat up clock, kick the field goal, and do not let Alabama come back to beat you. But when they got the touchdown to go up by eight, to go up by eight, I was still nervous that Bryce Young, he's done it before. He did it against Auburn in the Iron Bowl. I was nervous that Bryce Young is going to march down to the field and at least tie this game up. What was going through your mind? Did you feel still feel that Alabama still has a chance to win this game? Absolutely. Uh, in, in those moments in the game, the ball was moving. They were moving down the field. Um, they were moving down the field. And, of course, in that situation, they would have had to get the touchdown and then go for two. I was thinking, oh, wouldn't that be great drama if they, if they went ahead and got the touchdown and it came down to trying to go for that two-point conversion, which it didn't do. Uh, the young guy made the play, jumped the pass, and ran it all the way in for for a pick six, and uh, that was a shocking moment for Alabama fans and absolute jubilation for Georgia fans because even with the time that was left on the clock, I think it was a minute or less, uh, it was obvious that that they were going to win, and uh, the place went crazy. Yes, it was over at that time. Keely Ringo, the true freshman quarterback, with the pick six, the seventy-nine yard interception return which caused Georgia to take the 33-18 to lead, and that was the final score. It is the second largest deficit by a Nick Saban coach team, and Georgia has 14 wins, more wins than they've ever had in their school program. And get this, Georgia wins the national championship for the first time since 1980. What a year it's been for the state of Georgia. First the Braves winning the, na- First, the, Braves winning the World Series, and then Georgia winning the national championship. Everybody here in the state of Georgia is in jubilation. We're going to have a parade this Saturday in Athens. I expect to see a lot of Georgia fans out there. And, Rob, the reason why this national championship is so important to the state, you ask your typical sports fan that lives in Georgia, who are you most passionate about? 
And there's no question that everybody will say Georgia if they were born and raised here in the state of Georgia. Now, I know that Georgia is a transplant state. We have a lot of people like myself that came from California that has no ties to college football. But, yes, we do have a lot of Alabama and Auburn fans. And, of course, we have Tennessee fans because Georgia is such a transplant state. But the majority of the passionate fans in the entire state of Georgia, I'm talking down all the way south, you have fans in Savannah. And, of course, we have fans right here in Columbus, Georgia. This means more to them. And they are so happy that Georgia finally wins a national championship. And I honestly think you're looking at the title odds for next year. Of course, Alabama is going to be a favorite to win the national title next year because Bryce Young is coming back. Will Anderson is coming back. But Georgia is right there with Alabama. I expect to see these two teams play again in the national championship. Yeah, if not in the national championship, uh, they'll they'll be competitive, that's for sure. I, I love seeing the uh, the post-game respect uh, for one another. Um I know, and we've talked about this too, you know, uh, football fans on the West Coast, the Midwest, uh, even up and down the East Coast, they don't like seeing two SEC teams uh, making it to the championship team. But I've always told people, if you don't like it, your teams have got to beat them. And right now, SEC, in my opinion, stands for Supremely Exceptional conference and it was obvious out there on the field last night uh they played both of them played as good as they possibly can for alabama to even be in that game with their top two corners and top two receivers out against pretty much the best defense in the nation shows you at the end of the day the right two teams were playing for that national championship and it's also the third straight national championship for an sec team first lsu in 2019 Alabama last year, now Georgia this year. One thing about Alabama, Rob, and I'm I'm not one of these Georgia fans that's going to get on Twitter the next day and start bashing Alabama. Hats off to Alabama. They played a great game, and they will be back. And I know that there are some Alabama fans that have respect for Georgia, and they're still shouting Roll Tide this morning because it really – the Alabama tradition and what Nick Saban has done there to have seven national championships total and have six for Alabama, what he has done is unprecedented. And Alabama's not going anywhere. The dynasty's not over. They've just begun. I think Nick Saban is going to be there for the next 10 years. Alabama still recruits well, but it's going to be fun, Rob. I, I love to see what Texas A&M could do next year. I love to see what Brian Kelly can do at LSU. I think the gauntlet got a little bit tougher, but Alabama, especially getting Bryce Young back back next year and getting Will Anderson back next year, all those young players that they recruited are going to develop and get better. And Bama is still going to be the team to beat next year. I just think that we talk about Georgia and what they are capable of. I think Georgia is going to be right there with them. But, Bob, what do you think about the story of Stetson Bennett? Is that not made for, like, a ESPN 30 for 30 or a Disney movie to come out, like that Kurt Warner movie that just, just came out during Christmas? What do you think about Stetson Bennett and his story? Well, they were already talking about that last night uh, in in uh, in the broadcast, um, the storyline, the uh, in his interviews and in his post game comments. Uh, in fact, uh, one one of their um, 
uh, one of the ESPN stations uh, told his story once again, you know, how in high school he, you know, wasn't highly recruited and then he went the junior college route. Then he got on to Georgia and left and came back. And yes, the resilience, uh, the fact that he wasn't the biggest, strongest kid, it's wonderful. And we're starting to see a lot of quarterbacks that aren't the biggest and the strongest, you know, uh, make the most of their opportunity uh, when that time comes. What I love about him is his humility, uh, him being all about his teammates. Uh, and again, that quote, I was not going to be the reason why why we lost this game. Absolutely love it. Love that kid. Uh, he'll do really well in life. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Stetson Bennett can do whatever he wants in the state of Georgia. He can host a sports talk radio station. He doesn't have to pay a meal in Athens. <laughs> He's nope. going to be <laughs> he's going to be implemented about it, when you're the quarterback for the national championship team. Look at Buck Ballou, 1980. He only threw one pass. I know that whole team was revolved around Herschel Walker, but Buck Ballou has been stamped and forever will be known in Georgia. And he's got this sports talk show on the local radio station in Atlanta. And so everybody will remember Buck Ballou. Everybody's going to remember Stetson Bennett. I love Stetson Bennett's journey. He started at the University of Georgia 2017 as a walk-on, left to go to a junior college, comes back on the team in 2020 where Georgia just lost Jake Fromm to the NFL. And so Georgia had Jamie Newman, the transfer from Wake Forest. They had the five-star recruit, Dewan Mathis. And, of course, they had JT Daniels. So they had all these players, and Stetson Bennett was the fourth-string quarterback on the depth chart. And so Jamie Newman opts out because of COVID. Then Dwan Mathis becomes the starter week one against Arkansas. JT Daniels was hurt, so he couldn't play. So Georgia had no choice but to go to Stetson Bennett. And he bailed them out, and they were able to beat Arkansas. But the doubters still doubted Stetson Bennett after losing to Florida and losing to Alabama, had a 10-2 and record. And coming in here, everybody was all hyped up on JT Daniels because JT Daniels came in and saved Georgia's season last year, beating Mississippi State. And they said he was the more ready NFL quarterback and he had the better arm. And JT Daniels was the starter week one for Georgia. And he did good. And JT Daniels got hurt. But Kirby's a loyal guy. He's going to stick with his quarterback like he did with Jake Fromm. Kirby stuck with Stetson. I believe that was the right move. I know that Stetson Bennett, he silenced his critics by getting over the hump. And really, this is surprising because going into this game, I had no, I did not have all the confidence in the world. I doubted Stetson Bennett, and I apologize for that. Now I'm just eating my words. But Nick Saban owns average quarterbacks, but not tonight, not last night. Stetson Bennett did it. And he proved the critics wrong. And he did it in front of Vince Dooley. I, I, I was surprised by that. Uh, they made a big deal about him being in attendance, which which uh, makes it all the more special. And, uh, you know, Alabama, all the Alabama fans I know were very gracious. Uh, to me, they're a very classy fan base. Uh, and, um, of course, Georgia fans you know, congratulations and, and enjoy it. I mean, this is basically a, a year you get to celebrate this for, for uh, well, till next football season. So that's what I love about it. You get to enjoy it for several months now. And I am proud to live in the state of Georgia. It is going to be just so great 
to have all the banners around the state in the gear yeah. that they're selling at Academy Sports and Dick Sporting Goods. You know, I, I, I might get myself a Georgia National Championships T-shirt. I don't have a Braves T-shirt yet, but, you know, just especially if you're a Braves and a Bulldogs fan. Yeah. I, you've got to be just on cloud nine this last couple of months. It's just amazing that the this what this state has gone. Okay, Falcons and Hawks, you, you're on the clock. I mean, seriously, the, all the pressure now is on the Falcons to win a Super Bowl now and, and the Hawks to win an NBA title. I, and you know, of course, Rob, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> yeah. But, it's uh it's tough it's tougher in the pro sports as well but yeah update your uh update your fan gear uh you know update your fan gear your office your man cave because uh, yeah just like you're saying th- these things don't uh don't come around that often for certain uh fan bases yeah rob i don't know how you're gonna feel if west virginia ever gets to a point where they win a national championship but you know anything can happen they get the right coach they get a good get get a good recruiting class and it's possible but it's just it's great when your team wins and now we got to switch gears to black monday because we did have some firings in the nfl and personally rob i don't like to see NFL coaches lose their job but the one coach it shocked me and I believe he's going to get a job somewhere quick was Brian Flores at Miami getting fired he led them to two winning seasons with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua and he had three seasons at Miami and I guess that just wasn't enough I guess they're going after Jim Harbaugh because I don't understand why you get rid of such a good coach in Brian Flores well, the word for that, uh, Richard, is delusional, uh, and I believe the I believe the owner of the Dolphins uh, is is getting a little older. <laughs> uh, that's kind of a joke, but uh, yeah, that um, that's just silly because uh, the two the two coaches ahead of Flores uh, they had around the same record. Uh, and so I guess the owner was looking at the overall record over the last two years, but. They looked so good in that last game against the Patriots, and they were they you know they they uh, they looked good, and the player development was there. Um, so yeah, Flores he'll either get a head job, or or uh, some you know get to be a coordinator again. Um, yeah, he'll he'll be all right. They call that falling forward <laughs> uh, in the business world. He'll he'll be all right. But yeah, the the Dolphins the Dolphins fans they're loyal as well, so I feel bad for him. But, yeah, that, that didn't make any sense at all. And, of course, the other firings on Black Monday, Chicago Bears head coach Matt Nagy, Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer, and Broncos head coach Vic Fangio. I was not surprised that they all lost their jobs. I think Matt Nagy and the GM, Ryan Pace, gets fired. I'm hearing rumors that the Chicago Bears are going to try to reach out to Jim Harbaugh. He was once the quarterback for the Bears. I think Jim Harbaugh is going to be a huge candidate to replace these coaches. Josh McDaniel, the offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. And, of course, always Kansas City offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy is definitely another a possible candidate. And a new candidate has emerged, Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn. I think he's going to get an opportunity to be a head coach, possibly in Denver, uh, what's a good fit for these hot coaches to replace 
the the coaches that just got fired in their respective teams? It's it's hard to predict uh, with this particular coaching carousel uh, because the, those names that you just mentioned, um, they were also candidates, if you remember, last offseason, um, and they didn't take uh, the openings, all the openings that were out there then. So those names that you just mentioned, uh, those men, they seem to be comfortable uh, right where they're at, uh, and they realize – that uh, especially when you're talking about two of those names that have been head coaches before, uh, just because you go and be a head coach doesn't mean the grass is going to be greener, so to speak. So um, my answer is uh, it'll be interesting because a lot of these teams that think, oh, yeah, we can go get this guy or that guy, I think they'll be surprised. All right. And finally, we're going to talk about these upcoming NFL playoffs. We have wild card weekend. We get a bonus. We finally have a Monday night football game, which is a wild card game. I love the extra playoff game in each of the conferences. We're going to start with the doubleheader on Saturday. You got the Las Vegas Raiders taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals are favored by six. This is a rematch of the 1990 divisional playoff game. The Raiders have not won a playoff game since the AFC championship game in 2003 before they went to the Super Bowl. It's been a long time since the Raiders have won a playoff game. Get this, Rob. The Cincinnati Bengals have not won a playoff game since 1990. Something's got to give, right? Who do you got in this game? I love, 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 love this game. Uh, I love the storylines here. The resilience and the heart of the uh, Vegas Raiders. Uh, David Carr is a great quarterback. Uh, He's a man of faith, uh, plays the game the right way. Uh, Everything they've been through. Uh, Hunter Renfro tearing it up as, as a receiver this year coming out of Clemson. Then you look at Joe Burrow, and same thing with him. Great quarterback, great attitude, wonderful teammate coming back from his injury. Uh, I've, I'm leaning towards Cincinnati on this one simply because they're playing at home. I think the, Raider, the Raiders just getting into the playoffs is a great story. Hey, I look forward to that being a competitive game, but I'm going to go with the Bengals on this one. All right, and the next game will be a division game between the New England Patriots and the Buffalo Bills. The Bills held off the Patriots to win the division. And the Patriots on the road in the playoffs, which was unusual when the Patriots had Tom Brady. They were always a first-round bye and had home playoff games. This will be Mac Jones's first playoff game. Which way are you leaning toward? You got two great head coaches, Bill Belichick going against uh, Sean McDermott. And you had Josh Allen. The Bills were in the AFC Championship last year. It's a division game. Buffalo's favored by four. They're playing at home. But which le- which way are you leaning towards? Do you know if they split their matchup this year? Because they would have played each other twice. Yes. Uh, so New England beat Buffalo in Buffalo. And then the Bills came to Foxborough and beat them 33-21. So you're looking at um, – You remember that it was that Monday night game in Buffalo. It was snowy. There was just the elements were just crazy. And New England was able to beat Buffalo 14 to 10. And then Buffalo came back and beat New England in week 16. Okay. So, yeah, they split their series. All right. Here's uh, here's my gut pick on this. I'm going to go with Belichick. Uh, I think 
I mean, it's hard picking against him in the playoffs, right? At least for a first round matchup. So yeah, I'm gonna go with him. I'm gonna go with them on this one. Wow, that is a very bold pick. And if the Steelers don't knock off the upset on the Chiefs, the Patriots would be playing the Tennessee Titans next. And right now the Titans have the bye. Oh boy, that could be uh I'd be nervous as a Titans fan. But <laughs> moving on to the next game on Sunday, the one o'clock game. You got the Philadelphia Eagles taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Buccaneers were banged up. The Eagles sneak into the playoffs, even though, you know, Jalen Hurts, it, the, the skeptics are going to talk, but they've had a good run game. They had a pretty good team. But I, I think, Rob, this is a mismatch. I think Tampa with Tom Brady at home, uh, Tampa's favored by eight and a half. You know, those two seven matchups really become a mismatch because you have a team that should have got a buy in the last playoff format, getting a team that snuck into the playoffs. So I think Tampa rolls in this game. What do you think? Yes. And by the way, uh, you know, I'm a Brady guy. I always have been. He's also one of the greatest teammates of all time. Uh, another example this past, uh, this past week is he specifically asked to go back into the game so that he could help uh, Gronkowski get, uh, get his catch, catch and yardage bonus or whatever it was. And then after that, he went and sat back down. So <laughs> just, just amazing the things that Brady continues to do. And by the way, he broke his own personal yardage record and, uh, you know, in, in what is whatever season he's in now and however old he is. But, yeah, uh, by the way, Philadelphia, highly dependent on the run game. Uh, that's one of Tampa Bay's strengths is stopping your run game. So, yeah, I'm with you on this one, Richard. Let's go. Let's go, Bucks. All right. And then the next game, this is a big one for me. As a lifelong San Francisco 49ers fan, by the way, I'm going to have your buddy Gabe Reynolds on the yeah. show Friday. Yeah. Big, big Cowboys fan. You do not want to miss that game. We are going to go toe-to-toe on talking about the rivalry between the 49ers and Cowboys. We're going to go back in time to the yeah. 1990s when these two teams met in three straight NFC championship games. The yeah. 49ers have not met the Cowboys since 1994. Now, people say that the 49ers' best rival is Seattle, and and that's a new generation of people. But, you know, I'm 42, so I remember growing up as a kid in high school and not wanting to face the Cowboys. They they were just the most hated team with Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, Michael Irvin. They messed up our dynasty a little bit when Steve Young came back, lost to the Cowboys in the 92 and 93 NFC Championship. And then the 49ers were able to get Dion and build that super team and finally get over the hump and beat the Cowboys. And so the Cowboys won three Super Bowls in the 90s. The 49ers have five, two rich, traditional NFL teams. But this time, the stakes are a little bit higher. Dallas is playing at home. They're always playing well at home. Dallas is a three-point favorite, and that tells you that this is a pick'em game because Dallas has got the home field advantage. There's a lot of good things that Dallas does well, especially with their defense. I like the matchup I'm really excited about is Dan Quinn going up against Kyle Shanahan, the former Falcon head coach going up against his old offensive coordinator. And a lot of people don't think about that, but me living in Georgia and me seeing the Falcons in the Super Bowl. I think about that matchup, and a lot of people aren't thinking about that. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good storyline there. Um yeah, right now I'm leaning towards the Cowboys, but uh, 
Yeah, uh, I'm just happy for the 49ers that they got in the playoffs. They're playing the game the right way. They've had so many battles uh, or struggles in certain positions on their team, which you would know all about. So, yeah, tune in uh, Friday for the breakdown of that. It'll be fun. Uh, Gabe will have fun with you. He's like a Cowboys encyclopedia, and you're like a 49ers encyclopedia. So so that'll be uh, that'll be we- good uh, good podcast right there. Yeah, we may go head-to-head. I'm passionate about the 49ers. He's passionate about the Cowboys. I know you're picking the Cowboys, but I'm sorry, Rob. I got to lean on my 49ers all the way. The 49ers are getting healthy at the right time. And Dallas is a good team, don't get me wrong. But they went 6-0 in the NFC East and 6-5 in every other opponent. And they struggle against teams that are playoff teams. If you look, the only... The best win they've had all year against a playoff team was when they beat New England in overtime in Foxborough. But they lost to the Cardinals. They lost to the Raiders. I mean, they lost to the Broncos. Broncos are not a playoff team. But the Cowboys are are good. But if the 49ers, if they could stop Ezekiel Elliott, if they could stop the run game, they forced Dak Prescott to throw and be that throwing quarterback and this game could go either way, but I got to lean towards the 49ers because they're getting healthier at the right time as Debo Samuel is now one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. They got George Kittle. I know he doesn't put up great numbers, but he blocks. If Kyle Shanahan does what he wants to do, if the 49ers take a lead and they run the football, even on that stout Dallas defense with Micah Parsons and Travion Diggs, I think the 49ers could pull up the upset here. It doesn't matter if they're playing in Dallas because great defenses, physical defenses, and running games travel well. I'm sorry, Rob. I'm I'm picking the upset here. I think the 49ers win. And if they do, uh, Jerry Jones will be going crazy. (laughs) This is is another year where Cowboys fans, especially Skip Bayless, (laughs) because he's probably the biggest Cowboy homer in the history of broadcasting, (laughs) <laughs> I mean, this is the year where the Cowboys feel that they can make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, just a lot of things just have to go their way in order for that to happen. But I feel that the San Francisco 49ers are ready. They're getting hot at the right time. They were in a do-or-die situation against the Rams. I know they were scoreboard watching, but when the Saints were beating down the Falcons, and I was like, oh, come on, Falcons. You, you can't do this one for me. And then when the 49ers were down 17-0, and then they came back, the resiliency of coming back and beating the Rams, un- unbelievable. And I'm glad the 49ers are in the playoffs, and I'm going to ride with Jimmy Garoppolo. This could be his final game if the Cowboys, if the 49ers don't get it done, because they are going to go to Trey Lance next year. But I'm just happy that the 49ers are in the playoffs. And I'm, I'm happy for this matchup. I'm spoiled. As a Giants and 49ers fan, in the same year, I get to see the San Francisco Giants take on the Dodgers in the NLDS, and I get to see the 49ers take on their longtime hated rival, the Dallas Cowboys, in the first round of the playoffs. It doesn't get any better than this. Uh, My last comment on that, Richard, is if the 49ers can beat the Rams, they can beat the Cowboys. Absolutely. So the next matchup, the Sunday night game, you got the Steelers who got lucky. They got in the playoffs because the Colts were incompetent. They could not beat a bad Jaguars team. And Ben Roethlisberger 
finally gets one more shot, but I don't think they're going to get the job done here. Kansas City, too much Patrick Mahomes, too much defense in Arrowhead, and I think the Chiefs, once again, these two seven matchups seem to be a mismatch in the playoffs, and I think Kansas City wins. Yes, this isn't like uh, the NCAA basketball tournament uh, uh, or any other sport, really. The the differences are, are there uh, in terms of talent and, um, you know, who you beat. Uh, I saw a graphic that I forgot to send you before the uh, podcast today. It, it was done by a Kansas City fan, but it says you're invited to uh, – uh, you're cordially invited to Ben Roethlisberger's retirement party, you know, at the at Arrowhead Stadium. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> so, uh, but I love Big Ben. Uh, you know, he's he's uh, changed a lot through the years. Uh, he's a high character guy now, great teammate. Of course, uh, he's a man of faith now, and and uh, does a lot of great things. And and he'll he'll be uh, great in the future, whatever he wants to do. Um, so here's what I hope. I hope that it's not a complete blowout or whatever. Uh, but yeah, Kansas City's definitely seems like anyway going to win this game. All righty, and the final game is a Monday night football game, Wild Card Weekend. I, that's exciting that we get a Monday night football game. The Arizona Cardinals taking on the Los Angeles Rams, a divisional game where they split the matchups. You had Arizona beat. Los Angeles in LA at SoFi Stadium and then the Rams beat the Cardinals in Arizona. Arizona was struggling after they lost DeAndre Hopkins and JJ Watt. They were out to that hot start. I actually thought Arizona was one of the favorites to go to the Super Bowl and then they came back down to earth, but then they beat the Cowboys and they rode the ship. They got the 5 seed. They're taking on a divisional opponent. The Rams, this is a must-win for the Rams. They're playing at home. They failed to get the two-seed. They lost to the 49ers. But they sold the farm to get superstars like Odell Beckham Jr., Vaughn Miller, Matthew Stafford, because they're in a win-now situation. I think the Rams win this game. But the Cardinals could make it close because Kyler Murray, even though it's his first postseason game, who do you got in this game? Well, hopefully, uh, with that being the end of the playoff weekend, uh, again, it's a, it's a good game. You know, are you going to take the over <laughs> uh, kind of thing? Um, what's the uh, odds on that one? Are they saying they thinking that's going to be a close game? So the Rams are favored by four, and so the matchup predictor for according to the ESPN Football Power Index has got the Rams at a fifty eight percent. And the over-under is 50. Wow. 50. So if you got a 24-20 score, you're underneath the, the threshold of uh, 25 points for both teams. So, yeah. 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 I'd, yeah, I'd pick the over on that. I think it could be a shootout. Matthew Stafford going up against Kyler Murray. Just yeah. exciting uh, wild card week. And, Rob, I would love to have you back on the show, maybe even as a regular guest, and we can maybe uh, preview the divisional playoffs and the NFC Championship and uh, any other topics that you are passionate about in sports. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, we have a lot of fun doing this, and 
And uh, I'd just like to say that we appreciate anyone who listens. Uh, we feel like if you do listen to this podcast, that uh, you'll have a lot of fun with us and uh, hopefully enjoy it. Uh, maybe learn a few things. And as always, uh, leave your comments with Richard. And um, we appreciate everyone, uh, everyone joining us. And uh, it, it's a lot of fun. And before I close, uh, I just want to comment. I really appreciate your YouTube comments. Uh, you were watching the soccer game last weekend. The Memphis Americans were, was taking on the Columbus Rapids. As many of you know, I'm the play-by-play announcer for the Columbus Rapids. Friday's game was crazy. I lost my voice. The Rapids won on penalty kicks. Uh, I I showed a, I, I had a sample of the broadcast on yesterday's podcast uh, with the goal score that tied it up at three apiece. I really appreciated your comments. I took a step back on Saturday because I lost my voice, mainly because I had a work conflict. Matt Austin filled in for me as the play-by-play announcer. And I tell you, he did a phenomenal job. I know, Rob, you're a play-by-play announcer. In this business, we all just got to help each other. I know play-by-play announcers have a big ego, and they want to do play-by-play everything and shove people off to the side. But I loved just taking the step back and doing color commentator with him. And I had some comments from other broadcasters saying you two worked very well. And that's how we worked when we were at Freed Harbin, when one day I was play by play and you were color and we switched and we fed off each other because we had good chemistry on the radio. And I think it's important us as broadcasters to be humble, to try to learn from our mistakes and also develop other broadcasters coming up because I know that he's the full-time photographer for the Columbus Rapids, but the broadcasting future is there for him if he wants it. He's going to be a star if because he is a very good broadcaster. Absolutely. And uh, what a great way to close uh, today's podcast, you know, kind of letting people know the inside uh, story on things, that that's exactly the attitude that we have. And uh, we enjoy doing this. We work together. Uh, we help one another. And listen, uh, we've known each other for over 20 years. Same way with Gabe Reynolds, who you'll have on Friday. Uh, you make a lot of lifelong friendships doing this if you do it right. And we want to do it right. Thank you. That was Rob Frazier, a colleague of mine. Uh, 20 years I've known this guy. He was the play-by-play announcer at Freed Hardman, doing great things in West Virginia, public address announcer for Ohio Valley University. And He's doing a lot of great works in, in the church and in your ministry. And I really appreciate you, Rob, being on the show today. Thank you, brother. And appreciate everybody listening. All right. That's all the time I have on the show. I want to thank all my listeners that downloaded and subscribed to my podcast. Make sure you write a comment, too, on the Apple Podcast feed, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. I also have a Facebook page and a Twitter account where I – randomly post stuff about sports and share stuff that happens across my news feed and everything. So comment below on that as well. Stay tuned for tomorrow's show. And then I'll have a show on Thursday and then Gabe Reynolds will be a guest on Friday's show. You don't want to miss it. I hope that everybody has a great day. I hope you got some sleep, Georgia fans. I mean, cause we're partying all week. We got a parade Saturday, so we got to get ready for that. But I hope everybody has a great day once again. Thank you for joining the podcast, and I will talk to you later. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdry. We invite you to download and subscribe. 
You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been the Sports Beat with your host, Richard Holdry. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.